Isaiah 55. Dealing with problems. How do you deal with problems? <clears throat> Some people fight with their fists. Some people fight with their words. Some people just run away, right? Um, it's almost kind of like, uh, in, in extreme problems, it's almost like that, um, that fight or flight response. There's a lot of people that just pretend like nothing's happening. They just freeze up with problems. Um, it may depend on how big the problem is in your life. But as Christians, we need to know how to deal with problems. Problems in life, problems with people. Okay? Dealing with problems. Isaiah 55, look at verse number seven with me. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So we can see here, first of all, actions. That's what it's saying with ways. Forsake your way, right? Your actions, change your actions. The unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, notice in verse number eight and nine, and this is something that we are going to try to drive home today on the very first lesson. When we're talking about dealing with problems, we need to understand that God's ways of dealing with problems is going to be different than the way we would naturally deal with it. That's the one and only point I'm trying to get across. So let's bow our heads and pray and we'll just drink coffee for the rest of the time. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, yes! Yeah. Okay. We need to understand that God says, look at verse number eight and nine with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. So notice in verse number seven, he's saying you need to change your ways and change your thoughts. Right? Is that what he says? Okay. So he's, he's saying your thoughts and your ways are contrary to my thoughts and my ways. They're different. They're opposites. All right. Now I'm going to show you a slide. And I was taking some time to consider whether or not I was going to use this slide because to be honest with you, it's a little weird. Some of you are like, yeah, let me see the weird slide, Pastor. But the point I'm hoping to make is that it will stick in your brain and you'll remember and this will flash in your mind when you have an opportunity to make a decision and deal with a problem is because it's going to very, it's going to show us there's God's ways and there's our ways. There's my thoughts and there's his thoughts. There's my choices, my habits, my background, my comfort zone, 
the way I've always done it. And there's a new and living way that God describes in his word. You guys ready for this? Should I do it like I'm doing a kid's class? No, I don't think everybody's listening. Everybody put your hands in your lap. Sit up nice and straight. If you're listening, touch your nose. Nobody's listening. You guys are terrible. Couldn't touch my nose, Pastor. I got coffee in my hand. How weird is this slide? Miss Judith's freaked out. Okay, so on this side is supposed to be a dove with the olive branch of peace. This is the spirit, the new man. This is supposed to be something like a crow. What do crows eat? Apparently they eat skulls. They eat dead things, right? So we can see just very quickly, we've got the old man that does the old deeds by the, the flesh is dead, right? Oh, the other way. I've got to make sure I'm doing the right way. Don't, don't be confused, right? Okay? Uh, but then we have the new and living way. Right? I think that's a really good illustration. It kind of sticks in your mind. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm a Christian, it's just automatically going to change. Is that true? Is that the way it works? Right, does, your, does your thought process automatically change when you get saved? Here, here's a question. If you've, been at, if you've been at Christianity for a bit, you've been saved, been studying, you've been in church, you've grown... Have you, are you ever to the point where you think, now I'm 100% dove, I'm no longer crow. I can trust myself now. Is that true? Does the Bible teach that? No. no. We always have the old man in us. We always have the crow in us, right? That wants to do things according to the flesh, according to the old man, right? But we also have the spirit of God inside of us that wants to do things according to the word of God. Again, not according to what I think the Bible says, but according to what it actually says, okay? We've been studying on Wednesdays about the temptation of Christ. Isn't it interesting Okay, let's read verse number nine, and then we'll go to Matthew four to kind of do a little review of this. Isaiah 55, look at verse number, verse number eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Okay, you say which heavens, right? But, well, the sky, let's just say that. Are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. I love that God puts in here both actions, the ways, the habits, the lifestyle. In the New Testament, oftentimes it uses the word conversation, meaning like your lifestyle. Is your lifestyle a choice? It is a choice. Are your ways, is that, your cho- is that a choice? It is a choice. What about your thoughts? Are your thoughts a choice? Can you, can you use God's word to filter your thoughts? Because here's the thing. We do have, a, we, our human brain, sometimes bad things come into our brain. We're, we're tempted to think certain things so that we then do certain things. You're not going to do something if you haven't thought about it first. So Satan, he, he immediately attacks the way you think, right? 
So when a thought comes in, we have the choice by God's word to say either dove or crow. I kind of like that. Yeah? Right? Old man, new man. Don't be confused about which hand I waggle, okay? Um, So we need to understand that when we're talking about dealing with problems, there is, I can make a decision according to the old man. And you say, well, I was saved when I was four. So I've always acted like a Christian. Okay, well, let me talk to your sibling. That's probably not true. The fact is, no matter how long you've been saved or from what age you've been saved, I've grown up in church, I was saved when I was little, so I've pretty much always acted like a Christian. Okay, that very statement says you haven't always acted like a Christian. Okay, so the old man is in there. And he will always try to take over. Let's look at Matthew 4 quickly. This is the temptation of Christ. We're just going to look at the the second temptation. Verse number 5 and 6. Then the devil taketh him up. Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And if you go to Psalm 91, go with me there briefly. Psalm 91, so that we can compare what the devil is saying to what is actually written. Again, making a decision. How am I going to be successful? Well, Satan, he offered the suggestion and tempted Christ. Here's how you become successful. You throw yourself down off of this, and right before you smack down on the pavement, by the way, Satan is the, he is the originator of suicidal thoughts. Can we see here that he's tempting Christ to suicide? Hello, God does not tell you to kill yourself. That is not from the Lord. It doesn't matter what your mental state is or mental health. Come on now, or how old you are. Amen. Amen. That is not of God. God never says, you know what? You're having a pretty tough time. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? No, Satan, listen, Satan is a murderer from the beginning. Okay, what was, what was the consequence for eating the fruit in that day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And what did he tempt them to? He tempted them with the thing that was going to kill them. Okay? Suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-harm. That is not from him. Listen. Welcome, friends. Everybody listening? We listening? Okay. Thoughts of self-harm are not from him. And you can say, well, that's how I think. God can, God can teach you and help you not to think that way. We need to recognize those thoughts are, are temptations from Satan, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, extremely risky behaviors and lifestyle choices. Uh, I had a friend tell me probably two years ago, 
yeah, I have a friend and he, he gets high on pot and then he goes and rides his motorcycle down the 401 at three in the morning going 200K an hour. And it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the basket of really risky things to do. Why, why does he feel the need to do that? What is tempting his brain to do that and feel that? Why, listen, why does he count his life to be so worthless that he can gamble in such a way? Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the Lord. It doesn't come from the creator of life. God is going to teach us through his word, hey, I'm going to teach you to think different and to act different. Your decisions are going to be different right? What does he actually say? What does God's word actually say in Psalm 91 and verse 10? What does it actually say? Satan says, throw yourself off the temple because God's word said the angels, they'll catch you. They'll bear you up. I mean, he quotes it pretty well, but what's, what's the problem? Oh, he leaves important pieces out. By the way, every piece is important. Every piece is important, right? Every piece is important. Number 10, verse 10, number 10. Woo, number 10. No, verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee. Look at this next phrase. This is the part that Satan deletes. To keep thee in all thy ways. God's protection, the angels are there when we are walking in God's path, when we're walking in his ways, right? Is that what we see from God's word? So Jesus said, get away from me, Satan, get away from me. And then he quotes scripture. Jesus knew the scripture. He quoted the scripture. An application for us is God's word helps us to understand how to make decisions. God's word will inform that. It will help us to understand, hey, this is a really, really, really risky, suicidal type of a thing to do. Let's not tempt God. Suicidal thoughts don't come from God. Well, if God really loved me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the top of the CN Tower and I'm gonna uh, conceal some kind of cutting device and I'm gonna do one of those layback things. I don't know if I could do that. I'm, a, I'm, like a, I'm, a, I'm an adrenaline junkie kind of a dude, but to go up on the CN Tower and put on one of those funny suits and, and to like lean back with like a million feet below you, I just, uh, any hands, um, don't, let's not take a survey. I just don't know if I could do that. Right, some, 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 sometimes people are doing super risky things to get a selfie like on the end of a crane. Huh? Is it true? Right? They're doing their little TikTok deal. Hmm? Trying to get super famous. Where do those thoughts come from? Well, they don't come from the Lord. God doesn't say, hey, you know what? I think you should go out on the very end of that crane, stand on one foot and take a photo. Filter. Filter the decision through God's word. Right? We're going to filter it through, through the spirit, through the new man. Once we get saved, God wants us to learn to deal with problems by faith. This is specific 
This, this faith is specific to what the Bible actually says. We've been going through the little booklet uh, on the back table, um, and I'm just going to read some notes from that little booklet. Have you noticed how very few people take responsibility for anything anymore? Now, again, this book was written probably 20 years ago, maybe 10, 15, I think about 15, 20 years ago. Most people don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. There is always someone else to blame for the problems. Is that how we deal with problems? I have a problem in my life. I'm just going to look to blame somebody. I have a question. Does that actually fix anything? Let's just say I'm driving down the freeway. And all of a sudden, boom, tire goes flat. Right? Usually it's a slow leak, but sometimes it goes boom. Let's just say it goes boom. Okay, I pull over, and you're fighting it, and you, just kind of, and you finally get over there. You're finally on the edge. You're finally over onto the side. You get out. I don't know if you should get. To me, it's silly to get out. You got cars speeding past at 120K. You're going to get out, wander around with your phone. You're going to wander around on your phone. Right? And isn't it funny how quick those tow truck guys, man, they can sniff it out. Man, they're unbelievable. I think they have drones <laughs> over the highways, right? Question. By trying to determine whose fault it is, does it actually fix the tire? I told you to fill up the tire with air. I told you we needed new tires. I to- it's always I told you. I'm not to blame. I told you. Well, guess what? Finding somebody to blame, and even if it's legitimate, does it actually fix the tire? Okay? We need to understand that the way we as human beings think, again, from the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, what was their their go-to on dealing with that problem? Adam, the leader of the home, decides to blame Eve. Then Eve finds a snake. Satan. Did it actually fix the problem? Didn't fix the problem. That blaming did not fix their relationship with God. Did it? Did not. We as human beings love to blame. But it doesn't actually fix anything. Do we deal with problems simply by blaming? If there is trouble at home... The problem is with the kids or the spouse or the parents. There's trouble at work. The problem is the boss or the coworkers. If there's trouble with life in general. The problem is the dysfunctional family the person grew up in. There are a million and one excuses that people use to pardon their wrong behavior. I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't have done what you did. I do those things because that's the way my father or mother always acted. Maybe I shouldn't have done it, but you're just as bad. All that sounds like, that sounds like paradise in a marriage right there. Let's just blame one another. What these people are really saying is, I am not personally responsible for my own actions. Everything I do is someone else's fault. In his book, A Nation of Victims, Charles Sides writes, the politics of victimization have taken the place of more traditional expressions of morality and equity. If you lose, by the way, I don't know when this book was written, but the book that we're studying, again, was written at least 20 years ago. Isn't it interesting how this is even worse now? We're getting a little quiet. 
That's because this is just good stuff. Man, we just, we struggle at growing because all we do, if we listen to the advice of the world, they always tell us, find somebody to blame. The last thing they say is, you need to accept personal responsibility, make it right, and go forward. That's usually the very last thing that is said. Is that true? Unfortunately, that's true. Again, God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're higher. And of course, now we live in a culture where we want to blame God for everything. If anything goes bad in our life, then a common narrative is, well, if God really loved me, this wouldn't have happened. I have a question. Is God the one that actually did that to you? No, it was probably another sinner who acted in a sinful way. And again, blame fixes nothing. Some people, this is their method. This is how they go forward in life, right? I'm going to find somebody to blame, and then I'm going to go to them and make them pay. Somebody needs to pay me. Somebody needs to make this right. He goes on in the book. He says, if you lose a job, you can sue over the mental distress of being fired. If your bank goes broke, the government will insure your deposit. If you drive drunk and crash, you can sue someone for failing to warn you. Our problems, we are told, are the result of being victims. There is always someone else to blame, someone who hurt us. No one is guilty anymore. Nowadays, people are placing psychology on the same level, and some place it above the Bible. Many in the church today know more about self-esteem self -esteem than self-denial. This was kind of a catchphrase. Several years ago, self-esteem, we don't use that same exact terminology as much, but it still definitely applies. They know more about inner healing than about outward obedience. They know more about how to get in touch with the inner child than about how to reckon the old self to be dead. Okay, so what really is the source of our problems? Is it low self-esteem? Is it the fault of others? Is it our family, peace, or culture, none of the above. And wouldn't you know it, the Bible happens to give us the answers to the source of our problems. That should come as no surprise by now, the Bible has answers to everything. The first point, the point we're going to talk about today, is look within. Look within. Again, those who came a little bit late, we are using a slide here. This is a dove that represents the Holy Spirit and the new man. We can make a decision based on the Spirit of God and on the Word of God. Or we can make a decision based on, this is like a crow or a raven or something like that, a carrion bird that eats dead things. They typically don't kill things. They find something that's dead and they eat it. And that's the depiction of our, of our flesh, of our old man, the old part of us, right? And we have that choice to make. We can either... Choose to make a decision. Now we need to understand this crow, if something happens to him, he's going to blame. He's going to blame. 
This guy right here. He's going to blame. But we're not going to grow. Blame doesn't, blame doesn't allow you to grow. Now, there's some people who go all the way to the other side and they say, I'm responsible for everything. And that's not true either. God doesn't tell us that. Right? God gives us a very balanced and healthy approach. Okay? Accepting the blame for everything in the world is not the biblical response either. God does not expect us to do that. All right? But if we're in the wrong, we need to confess it, forsake it, and move on. But once again, finding somebody to blame, does that really help us move forward? No. Doesn't. Not unless you're going to recognize they did it, I'm going to forgive them, and then I'm going to go off. That's moving on. Where does that come from? That comes from God's word. God's word teaches us that. Okay? All right. James 4 and verse number 1. James 4 and verse number 1. Okay? Someone's here today and they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. This really doesn't apply because you don't have the new, you don't have the new nature. Okay? Somebody's listening to the recording of this. The first step in learning how to make decisions, you have to trust Christ as your Savior. And then you have the new nature. You have this elevated nature. You have this just as God said, okay? Just as God said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens or the sky is far above the earth, he said, so are my thoughts. The same is true with this elevated nature, this new nature that God gives us, this heavenly nature, the spirit of Christ. It is far above, much more noble, and much more powerful, and much more healthy, amen, than the old nature, okay? It thinks of others instead of constantly thinking about self, for example. Notice in James 4, in verse number 1, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Again, James is is written to believers. Okay? Wars and fightings. I don't think he's talking about literal wars among the believers, right? Arguments, contentions. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? In other words, what's causing all the problems, he says? You are. You are causing all kinds of problems because of the evil desires within are the problem. Don't try separating out these desires and blaming them and not you. Oh, that was, that was just the wicked sinner inside of me. That was, that was my little wicked sinner inside. So sorry, shouldn't have said that. All right. We can try to do that, but it won't actually solve the problem. The Greek word for desires here is hedon, which, from which we derive our word hedonism. The belief that pleasure is the chief good in life. If hedonism had a patron, patron saint, it surely would be Hugh Hefner, a man who has abandoned himself to the pursuit of pleasure. It doesn't matter if it's him or someone else. We can see all the time on, on, uh, um, on TV or on any kind of device, we've, we, 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 we have elevated 
this, the pursuit of pleasure to be the number one thing in life. The problem is when, when all you seek is your own pleasure, when that is your God, then the obvious result is going to be conflict and the myriad problems that go along with it. It is important to note that pleasure itself is not necessarily sinful or wrong. Look at Psalm 16 and verse number 11. Pleasure itself is not necessarily sinful or wrong. We need to have our desire for pleasure to be, once again, guided by God's word. If he says it's okay, then it's okay. All right. If it's not okay, it falls into sin and self-harm and it's harmful to others as well. Some people think that in order to be pure, in order to be godly, right? We just need to kind of live a very ascetic life, a very Spartan life. We just need to live in a cave and sleep on the floor and and we need to have a, a very itchy wool clothing and Nearly every religion, man's man-made religion, has a version of this. I'm going because you know if I if I just give myself over to pleasure, then I'm going to be a sinner. So I'm going to be way over here, and I'm nothing is pleasurable. I'm going to eat very very plain food. I'm not going to do anything that I find enjoyable in order to be pleasing to God. That is not biblical either. Okay, God created us to. He says he, he created us, created um, for us to enjoy life. Psalm 16 and verse number 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Okay, the Bible often speaks of the joy of the Lord and the true happiness that comes from God. Psalm 84 and verse number 11. Psalm 84 and verse number 11. What's the point that we're driving at? What's the overall point we're driving at in this topic of making decisions? Okay, we need to understand when we're making a decision, the first question we need to ask and realize is what pleases God? We don't need to ask what pleases me because that makes you the God. It makes you live a very, very selfish life. You have set yourself up as the be all and end all. It's all about you. The world tells you, what's your dream? What do you want? What do you want you to become? And don't let anybody stop you. Oh, that sounds like a great person to be around. That sounds like a very lonely person to me. Why? Because they're looking for people to use. If you can help me achieve my dream, then fine. If you can't, you're out. What a terrible person to be around. to use people for yourself. You see, when we make ourselves the God and it's all self-worship and self-care, we care nothing about others and we care nothing about God, we become a very horrible and miserable person. Could it be 
that we need to refine our decision-making process by asking this first question. What pleases God? Does this please the Lord? Does this please the Lord? That is, guys, that is the very foundation of worship. The very foundation is what pleases God. It's not, does it please me? Psalm 84 and verse number 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Look at this phrase. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Okay? I can trust God to give me things in my life that are good. If I'm following him, living by faith, trying to please him, and if I want something, I can trust him. I can trust his discernment. I can trust his viewpoint that he sees higher than I see. Hey, he can see what that choice will do to me six months from now. I can't see that, but he can see that because he's the eternal God. But I really, really, really want it. Okay, if I'm approaching this decision by faith, I'm praying about it. I'm trying to please the Lord with it and it just doesn't work out, then I can say, God, you know more than I don't. I'm trusting you. Because your word says no good thing will he withhold from them that fear him. Is that what it says? I really wanted that promotion, but that other person got it. So I'm going to investigate and find out who they paid off or how they were able to convince or how they were able to, maybe they blamed me. I'm going to go on a rampage and I'm going to file all kinds of complaints and I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to, okay, so now you just spent more in legal fees than you would have made by getting that promotion. <laughs> maybe God knew it wouldn't have been good for you. Maybe God knew it wouldn't have been good for your family. By the way, I have no idea what's going on in your life. If this applies to you right now, that's just the Lord because I have no idea about the details of your life. But this is just one example. I really wanted that house. I really wanted that car. I really wanted that. Guys, how many times have I taken you all and gone off to some little, some room somewhere in here and said, hey, we need to pray about the church getting this space. Okay? It hasn't worked out and I've taken you down to like three different spots. Guess what? This is the Lord's church. It's not my church and it's not yours. It's his. Okay? And, and he promised me no good thing, no good thing will he withhold. So then my job is to fear him and honor him, not in a terrified way, in a very healthy, reverent, respectful way. Amen. Amen. That's not what I wanted. Listen, life is about what God wants. It's not about what we want. Amen. Does he want that? For me. Well, I don't like to be told what to do. Uh, maybe you're not saved. Oh, how can you say that? Well, because the Bible says that we need to call upon him as our Lord. Is that what it says? It does say that. 
He has salvation and he's our God and he's our Lord. He's not just saying, hey, here's a, here's a, here's a free ticket to come to heaven. Now you go live your happy little life, do whatever you want. Everything's cool. He's not one of these absentee parents that gives their kid a debit card and a bus pass and says, have fun, be safe. Be kind to others. And that's, that's a good, no, no, no. God says, you need to be godly. You need to be righteous. You need to live your life higher. Not your version of higher, not Pastor Corey's version of higher, but God's version of higher. He saved us for a relationship. And sometimes we find ourselves really struggling in our relationship with God because we're not willing to allow him to teach us how to make decisions. God is the God. We are not the God. He is the God. God, what do you want? We're going to sing a new song today. We've, we sung it last week. We're going to sing it together as a group. And it's based off of this verse, 1 Corinthians 6. I love this song, by the way. Why? Because it gets stuck in my head. And it's easy to sing. And it reminds me, I am not my own. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Yeah? By the way, what a, what a comforting thing it is to know. I am not my own. I am not alone. I'm not alone. God, listen, God cares enough about me to say no. His love is bold enough to use his knowledge of the future to say that is going to hurt you. So I'm going to say no. What a God. He can be trusted, my friends. He can be trusted to inform and guide our decisions. What? 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Thank God we've been bought with a price. I must not live my life like I have not been bought with a price. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, what should I do? It goes on. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I must glorify him with my body. My body, my choice is not a statement that God wants us to make because it's not your body. It's his body and it's his choice. This informs our decision on all different types of political issues and problems. It filters all that out. Where do you stand on this issue or that issue or this issue or that issue? I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Amen. Yeah. 
just to drive this home in the minute or two we have left, look at verse 18 of the same chapter in context so that we can make it abundantly clear what we're talking about. Corinth was known to be one of the most immoral cities in the ancient world. If you wanted to go there and party hard and have a good time and indulge whatever fleshly appetite you had, matter of fact, history tells us it was a, it was a town of, of, of trade, of seafaring trade. History, history tells us that if you were a big uh, business person in that town, that you would actually have a, a, a den of iniquity, so to speak, with girls and boys and food and whatever. And if you wanted to be a big time business person, you would have one of these pleasure palaces, so to speak, for, for you to invite people in and say, hey, do business with me, I'll take care of you. Go have a good time. Okay? We must not think for that, 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 that somehow when we're reading the Bible that God is commanding us to be holy because they lived in puritanical times. They did not live in puritanical times where everyone was pure and holy and, and kept their distance. Guys, the Roman Empire fell because of debauchery. They fell because of indulging the flesh and selfishness and wickedness. They cared nothing but for circus and for free bread. That's all they cared about. And so when he's talking to the Corinthians here, he's talking to people that were saved out of a lifestyle. Saved out of an environment. Saved out of families. And out of businesses where they had to say, no, I've been bought with a price. God is not telling us to do something that he has no context. And he says in verse 18, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Notice it says in verse 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You realize that is a spiritual activity when you have sex with somebody? <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Look, churches need to get to the place where we address these issues because it's happening out there. The voice is loud. And in here, it's very quiet. And we pretend it's not going on. And that's not a promise I'll get inappropriate. But we need to understand, I've been bought with a price. It's not just a physical activity because we are not animals. We are spirit beings encased in a body. Amen. And when you go out and you do that thing with that person, whomever it may be, by the way, it applies to pornography too. It is a spiritual activity. And that's why it messes people up so bad. It makes them suicidal. It makes them abusive. It makes them slide into self-harm. They get more risky. They're more risky. They start going into other addictive things in order to somehow calm what's going on. It is not a mental thing. It is a spiritual thing. And so God very lovingly comes to us. Love and strength knit together and says, flee fornication. 
It's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing, guys. Therefore, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are his. In a day and age where we are obsessed with clean, trying to eat clean, what does that even mean? It's not, it's, not, it's not a medical term. It's not even a nutritional term. It's a marketing term. Trying to eat clean. I'm trying to eat dirty. <laughs> right? Trying to eat clean. Oh, how clean is that shampoo? I don't know. Clean enough for me to smell different. Clean. We want to talk about clean. Listen, God calls us to cleanness. Cleanness of the spirit and cleanness of the body. Yeah? He loves us. He loves us. And he's calling us to learn to make decisions based on the spirit and not the flesh. I hope this doesn't give you nightmares. If it does, I'm sorry. Call me in the morning. Don't call me at night. Okay? Let's pray.